Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. The book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Yesterday, someone important was on the sidelines at Kroger Field. Football season started yesterday, and Kentucky won, but they played against a team called Louisiana Monroe. Well, decisions matter. And many times you might not realize that something that seems like a very insignificant decision can actually have a lasting impact. And there's a player, or there's a coach now, on the sideline, he was there yesterday at Kroger Field, who's the offensive coordinator called Rich Rodriguez, there uh, that for Louisiana Monroe that was here in town yesterday and he made a decision on December 8th that actually impacted the University of Alabama that's unusual what what would he have decided and how had had he contributed to Alabama winning six national championships it's true in nine, two, the end of the 2006 football season, Bama's football team was struggling. Mike Shula just was mediocre coach. They lost more than two games, which is totally unacceptable. So they had a new coach. They were just in spiraling downhill. Mike Shula lost his job. And Mal Moore, the athletic director, it was time for him to hire a new coach. So uh, he wanted this coach out of, of he, came, he was at LSU. Then he went to Miami Dolphins. His name was Nick Saban. But Nick Saban and... It had turned him down after, um, at the end of November of 2006. Nick, Nick Saban won't stay as NFL coach. Then he's called Steve Spurrier. At that point, he was coaching the South Carolina Gamecocks. And remember, this is in late 2006. Alabama wasn't an attractive job. They were, I mean, they were struggling. Their program wasn't what it was today. Called Steve Spurrier. He had won some national championships with Florida. Steve Spurrier you know, kind of said, uh, I think I'm going to stay here at South Carolina. We've got a good thing going on. Um, plus, I've already won some national championships, so what's another one to me? But anyway, whatever. That's, that's always what you tell the press afterwards, but people do enjoy him. So then he called this guy named Rich Rodriguez. Mal Moore did. Rich Rodriguez was over at West Virginia, just right, right down I-74. Well, Rich had a really good, pro- good system going, they had three 11-win seasons in a row. They were doing really well. If you remember, West Virginia was a top-10 team back then. Solid team. Well, he said no, but he had thought about it. He met with Mal Moore. Mal Moore offered him the job, and he turned him down on December 8, 2006, because he just had such a solid program there with West Virginia, the Mountaineers. Well, Steve Spurrier had told Mal Moore, says, you don't need to give up on Nick Saban. You know, I know he told you no, but you need to call him back and talk to him again. So Mal Moore did that and took about three weeks, but he sold him the job from leaving the Miami Dolphins to going to the University of Alabama. And then six national championships later, Rich Rodriguez wasn't too long ago was in Tuscaloosa, and he was looking at all these statues and trophies. Yeah, there's even a statue of Nick Saban there. And he says, Rich Rodriguez says, where's my statue? And the, the guy giving the tour says, what do you mean, where's your statue? I'm the reason that statue of Nick Saban is there. I turned down the job that got him 
to be your coach. And I share this because one decision, one in many ways, it wasn't, it, in many ways folks kind of said, oh, you don't want, Rich, you don't want to go to Bama. They're just in the pits right now. One seemingly minor decision can actually have a lasting impact Oh, not just on that time period we're in, but decades later. And that's what we're going to see here in the Bible. We're going through 40 days of prayer. And today's focus is on purity. And God calls His people, He calls you and I, to pure lifestyles. We're called to holy, clean living. And we're going to see about a man named John the Baptist... Now, when you think of John the Baptist, you don't think of purity. You might not think as as a pure man. But the Bible says he preached against sin. And John the Baptist said something. He made one comment to Herod. And Herod didn't like it. And from that one comment, he was beheaded. Open your Bibles. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Mark 6, 14. Look what God's Word says here. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that's why the miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. They're talking about who is Jesus? King Herod's hearing about Jesus. And they're hearing about his ministry at this point. It's growing. In verse 16, when Herod heard about it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. So this we're about to do a we're going to do a flashback right here, these next few verses. They're talking about how great Jesus is. It gets to Herod. And he, word is, is they're saying, John the Baptist has come back. So Herod proudly says, hey, the guy I beheaded has come back to life. So here's the story. Here's the backstory on this. And this is about purity and about where our words matter and even small decisions can make a lasting impact in our life. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother's wife, because he had married her. Herod the Tetrarch was not a pure man. He had a brother-in-law, or a brother named Philip. Philip was married to a lady named Heroditus. Well, I don't have a brother, but let's just say you have a brother. And you look at your brother who's married... Would you want to marry or steal your sister-in-law for your wife? You don't have to answer that question. I know there's science here. But that's what happened here. Herod looks at his family and thinks, I've got a brother named Philip. I like his wife. I think I'll go steal or take or borrow whatever words you want to use. This is now my wife, Heroditus. So he, took his, he literally took his sister-in-law and made it his wife what we call incest, but anyway, that's what happened in the Bible. Well, John the Baptist hears about this. John the Baptist is one of these guys, he's going to call out sin. The Bible says that's wrong. You don't, you don't take your brother's wife. That's immoral. book of Leviticus speaks against that. 
So look what it says, John, verse 18. John the Baptist had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's life. Meaning, Herod, what you're doing is wrong. You don't steal your brother's wife. You don't marry family members. There's a lot of fish out in the sea. There's other folks out there. So Herodotus, the woman here, held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and he, yet he liked to listen to him. So what we have here is Herod's new wife is wanting to kill John the Baptist. But Herod is protecting John's life from his wife. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of the Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her an oath, whatever you ask for me. I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and asked her mother, What should I ask for? Mom, what should I ask for? I want something. I mean, it's a big offer. Half the kingdom. We don't want half the kingdom. Here's what she wants. John the Baptist's head, she said. At once, she, she, the young girl hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. What a bold request for a child. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oath and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about this, they came to remove his corpse and placed it in a tomb. What a barbaric way to die. John the Baptist told the king, King Herod, don't steal your brother's wife. It's immoral. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's against God's law. The woman gets offended by that and says, I'm going to have you killed. And uses her daughter as a pawn to serve John the Baptist's head on a silver platter in a party. Herod had to feel like he had to honor his word in front of all these guests to do that. That is how John the Baptist died. He was beheaded for boldly speaking the truth. He spoke out against immorality. He preached for purity. And he paid for it with his life. So when you think of the person who was bold in his faith, that preached against sin, that ultimately paid a cost for standing what is right, John the Baptist is that man. And what we see here in our passages is when we think about purity, we need to be thinking about how we today, in 2021, are going to have to identify with John because our culture has become not more pure, it's less pure. This coming Saturday, as I prayed for, is a 20-year, 20-year memorial for September 11th. 
I remember the church I was attending with my parents, the Shades Mountain Baptist Church, about a month, there was, there was a revival that occurred. The church had to pull out chairs. Our attendance went way up, and probably here too, 20 years ago. People were worried. They were concerned. They didn't know what to do. There was a crying and calling out to the Lord. Now you look, 20 years later, is America closer to the Lord? Or are we farther away from the Lord after September 11, 2001? I bet most of us, if we went around this room and pulled you, you would say we have gone backwards spiritually. We're farther from the Lord. The revival didn't last. Lasted a few weeks, maybe a few months, but it didn't stay. And our, more, our world, our culture, has become more and more impure. Immorality is the norm. Someone doing this today, if someone divorced, they were married, they divorced their current wife and went and married their sister-in-law, you would probably raise an eyebrow thinking, is that legal? You might Google it to find out, can you do that here in Kentucky? Is that allowed in the United States? But I wonder how many of us would actually go to that person and say, son, what you've done, sir, what you've done is sinful and wrong. We just don't speak against sin. You just don't. You might talk about it behind their back. You might gossip about it. You might think, oh, those people are weird. But John the Baptist opened his mouth and he said boldly, Herod, what you're doing is wrong. You can't do this. And we need a nation of Christians that actually open our mouths and speak out against immorality. The Bible tells us, and we're not going to turn there. I've got some of these verses up on the screen. For the young folks here, 1 Timothy 4.12 tells us, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean you can't live for the Lord. You set an example in in, with, for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And look at this fifth one. Look at it. In purity. When you think of young folks, do you think of purity? Do you think of holiness? The Bible's calling young people today to purity, to live a life set apart that's pure and clean, not because they want to one-up other people, because it honors God. It's a, it's, a, it's a commitment you make to say, I'm not going to go down this road other people are doing. I'm going to be pure. And God tells us, He commands us to do this. Do you know one of the things with purity is it prevents our prayers from being answered. This is why this is so important with revival. You have a prayer life. You're crying and calling out to God. You're praying to the Lord. And I want you to know, if there's immorality in your life and you're wondering, God, why are you not answering my prayer? Because He wants you to repent of your sin. Because Isaiah spoke about this. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities, iniquity is sin, but your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you. So to look at this, so that He does not listen. 
God does not listen to our prayer because we have unconfessed sin in our life. This is so important. Revival starts with a personal cleansing of my life. If I'm filled with impurity, God is wanting me to confess my sins to Him. And then He answers those prayers. Immorality. An impure mind. Dirty hands that we refuse to repent of. It prevents and hinders our prayer life. Unconfessed sin keeps us impure. It does. It keeps you. You're already impure because we're sinners. And unconfessed sin just allows it to continue. It's a spiritual stain we're choosing to carry around. When you refuse to, re, re, to, to confess your sins and repent of your sins to the Lord, you are choosing, I'm choosing, to carry, a lot, a, 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 carry along with me like a stain. It's like a giant stain on your clothes. You have to take it to the cleaners. You won't wash it. It's just dirty. And you're choosing to carry it with you. It's immorality today. And I want you to know it's all around us immorality. And we've naturally, we've just grown accepted to it. We don't even realize it's here. I'll give you a perfect example. There was a road race sharing hour in about three weeks ago. It was downtown. You know, down, people are pay, taking pictures. And now, you know, somebody said, let's get a photo. So I stand there, just in the middle of the road. And I got a picture made. And I looked at the picture like, okay, like a day or two later. And I'm looking at it, and I'm standing on a rainbow crosswalk. I didn't even realize it. I don't even know what I'm doing. You, you don't even, it's so common. You don't even recognize the immorality. And we have rainbow crosswalks in downtown Lexington. I'm sure you all know that. All over the place. Because, folks, it's just, it just is here. You don't, your eyes have become so accustomed. Your ears have become so adjacent, so used to this. You don't even realize the corruption that has come in to your, to your spiritual life. We're carrying this around in our life. And God is looking at us. And He's saying, are you going to repent? Are you going to call sin, sin? I want to tell you all, and this is convictional here. When we purposely watch television, when we purposely just spend hours scrolling through social media and allowing Hollywood to entertain us, I want to explain what you're actually doing. What you're doing, if you are saved, you have been regenerate. You've been born again. Christ's Holy Spirit lives inside of your life. And when we choose to watch television, what you're actually telling yourself, and you're telling the Lord, you're saying, God, I am a regenerate believer. My home is in heaven. I live for the Lord. But I'm going to turn on the television, and I'm going to allow unregenerate, lost people in Los Angeles, California, entertain me. That's literally what you're doing. You are a saved person, and you're saying, 
lost man in Los Angeles, in Hollywood Hills, provide me some entertainment. Entertain. Take advantage of my time. And you have lost people who run the TVs, who run the media, influenced by demonic powers, influenced by the devil. They are literally entertaining us to death. Say death? Spiritual death. You've died spiritually. Your prayers aren't going answered. You don't have the vitality of the Lord in your life. You don't feel anything from Christ because you're numbing yourself with media. You're literally numb. You're just allowing hours and hours of impurity to come into your life. Let your ears hear it and your eyes watch it. And folks, you might not say it doesn't influence you, but I promise you it does. An unregenerate. The TV is an unregenerate entertainment for us believers. And God is saying, why are you doing this? Why are you watching this? Why are you looking at this on Facebook? Why are you spending hours scrolling? Wasting your life. And we're telling the devil, devil, entertain me. Provide me with some entertainment. Folks, it's killing us spiritually. And I want to tell you, that's why we don't have an army of John the Baptist, because we don't want to offend anybody. That's why no one will speak up and say, son, that's wrong. That's sinful. That's immoral. Don't do that. You shouldn't be living with that person. You shouldn't be committing that sin. You shouldn't be watching, the, going to those websites. I'm not going to allow this stuff into my home. We need an army of John the Baptist to come up and put their literally life on the line. John the Baptist put his life on the line against Herod. He said, Herod, don't do it. That's unlawful. That's sinful. You can't steal Philip's wife. Like that breaks the book of Leviticus. God's word says no. You as the king are called to be pure. Matthew 5.8 tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity is something we see in the Beatitudes. Christ tells us we are to be pure in heart. So I want you to understand, purity is actually twofold. Purity is external, but Jesus makes it internal. He says, your heart, not only externally are you to be pure, uh, internally is the same. Here's external purity. My parents are in town. Elizabeth's birthday is this weekend. So we went to Malone's yesterday. And we were there, our favorite restaurant, and we're there. And it's time to leave, and I'm gathering up everything. Which, when you have children, that means you have toys, you have the to-go box, You've got phones. I mean, you're, you're, you know, it's time to walk out of the restaurant. I'm like carrying all this, you know, you're carrying all this stuff walking to the car. You know, like this. You're going, you, don't, you just pile it on me. I don't even know what I'm carrying to the car. It's just time to leave. And I get in the car. It's time to go. Everybody's loaded up. And I start putting the stuff down, just literally. And I notice I had a dinner napkin. From, now, their dinner napkins, now, it, it's not the ones you throw away. You know, most dinner napkins, but the ones there are nice. They, they wash them in the washing machine. They, they're going to get reused. This is a nice dinner napkin. And I've already got in the car. Everybody's loaded up. What do you do? Do you go back in? 
Or you think, you know, I'll, you know I could use a new napkin. We make it a handkerchief. This is, you know, get in the car. I think I'm preaching on purity tomorrow. I'm going to walk back in to the hostess stand and say, Sir, ma'am, I need to give you this right here. And actually, you know, here's a dinner napkin I have. So that's an example of what we would call external purity. You know, it's for everybody to see. You're, you're either going to, people know, you're either going to make the right decision or you're going to steal. You're going to return the item that you accidentally stole or you're not. You're going to commit adultery or you're not going to commit adultery. You're going to look at immorality on the internet or you're not going to watch it on the internet. But the, Jesus spoke about something even deeper than that for purity. He talked about a purity of the heart. He says, the pure in their heart, they'll see the Lord. Meaning God doesn't want us just to, to be seen with our purity. Our purity is also internal that the Lord can see. And I'll give you an example of this. Pure in heart is your attitude. God knows if you have a bitter, bad attitude. He knows if internally you are seething and you are filled with anger and hatred. Remember this woman, Heroditus? She was married. She was married to Philip. She got stolen by Herod. And then John the Baptist told her that her marriage wasn't lawful. And it said that in her heart she wanted to kill John. She allowed the bitterness and the anger of murder just to continue on in her life. Because Herod protected her. She was looking for her opportune time to strike back. She had an impure heart. She had unconfessed sin. The sin of murder was in her heart. She wanted revenge. And for us, God cares about our attitude, about our motives, about our desires. Internally, no one else might not know them. Herod didn't realize how much his wife, his new wife, hated John the Baptist. He had no clue that by making that request to the little girl, that she would want John the Baptist's head on a platter, or he, he, did, he would not make that offer. That wasn't even in the back of his mind. He didn't think of his wife that way. But internally, she wanted to kill. Jesus says when talking about adultery, in Matthew 5, 28, he says, But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There it is. The sin of lust. God reads our hearts. He reads what we're thinking. He knows, even though you didn't physically commit the act of sin, the act of adultery, inside your heart, because the Lord knows our mind, He knows our thinking, to Him you've broken the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Every time you look at pornography, every time you lust at someone, every time you have an immoral act, immoral thought you're committing the sin of adultery how you can say well i physically didn't do it jesus says no you already committed it in your heart mentally you were there and god knows our thinking this is why god when we get saved all parts of our life including our thought life certainly our external action life but our heart 
has to be cleansed as well. Because eventually, if you have impure and impure motives all the time, in a bad attitude all the time, eventually, one day, that opportune time came. Remember, Heroditus, she just kept looking for that opportune time, the Bible says. If you have, a, if you have immorality in your heart, one day the devil's going to allow that opportune time for a move from lust to the actual act. That's why Christ says, you need to be cleansed and you need to have a pure heart. The pure in heart are the ones who actually see God. Do you want to see God when you go to heaven? Do you want to experience, do you want your eyes to be laid upon Jesus? Do you want to see your Creator? Bible says He's looking for folks with a pure heart. This 40 days of prayer, many of you, possibly many, if not most of you, it might not be you're going around lusting at everyone, but you are harboring bitterness, a bad attitude, you have revenge, you have animosity inside of you that you're holding and harboring against others. And I want to warn you, just like Herodias, it says here that opportune time came and sin was manifested. And John the Baptist died. One small decision, the decision not to repent of sin, one impure thought can develop in becoming soon an impure act. And Christ is speaking to us this morning to say, you want to experience this revival in 40 days. Your internal purity, your thought life is critical to seeing your prayers answered and seeing your spiritual life cleansed for Jesus. So the commitment this morning, and God's speaking to you this morning, and He's saying, are your motives pure? Is purity part of your heart? Have you confessed all your sin, even sins of a bad attitude, even things that happened to you years ago? Have you gone back and said, Lord, I'm giving you this. I'm releasing this. I'm not carrying this stain, this weight anymore. Why would you choose as a believer to go through life carrying a weight that Christ is saying, there's no need for you to do it. There's no need for that. God wants you and I to be John the Baptist. We don't carry weights along with us. We've confessed our sins. And when we see immorality, we boldly speak up and say, this is wrong. This is sinful. And if we pay with our life, if it costs us our life, then our last breath here is our first breath in heaven. John the Baptist was spoken of of Jesus as the greatest man born of a woman. Say, wasn't Jesus born of a woman? Jesus was born of a woman and God. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist was the final of all the Old Testament prophets who paved the way for Jesus to come. He was the messenger setting up for the Messiah. And Jesus spoke very highly of him and he lost his life for being pure. God is calling you to purity this morning. 
I'm asking you to examine your heart and say, Lord, is there any impurities, any immorality, any sinful attitude that I need to come to the altar, come to you, Lord, and ask forgiveness? Because I want you to know it's causing an unnecessary spiritual weight that's preventing, it's a block that's preventing God from answering your prayers. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have an invitation for you to respond to God. God calls us to respond. And this today's response, in many ways for all of us, is an internal response. Say, God, examine, search my heart, and show me of any sin that I need to confess. Lord, I pray for our hearts this morning. Many of us here, externally, other people might not know of it, but internally, we are hurting. Lord, you have things in our life that we need to come to you and ask for forgiveness and confess. Lord, we need to be like John the Baptist and we speak up for biblical truth. Lord, you have given us your spirit. You've enabled us to know your word. Now, Lord, give us the words and speak to our mouth to say, It's not lawful you to steal your brother's life. Lord, revival comes when God's people speak up for truth. And I pray this morning we are part of that. God, if there's anyone here, and I know there is, a people that are harboring resentment and sin in their heart, Lord, I pray they confess that. I pray for our own line folks also to confess it. Lord, we use this time to say, God, I, I don't need to be this man. I don't need to be this woman. I don't need to have this type of attitude. I want to experience you. Lord, don't allow Hollywood to entertain us. Lord, it's detrimental to our souls what media is doing. It's robbing us from spiritual joy. I pray this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, they need to come to you as their Savior. And respond to the gospel. Lord, you call us to have clean hands and a pure heart. And that starts by trusting you as our Savior. Lord, I pray this morning, we respond to you. And we get saved. We get right with you, Lord. God, I give you this invitation. If there's anyone here, and there is, people who need to respond, I pray they do so this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to have an invitation. Gene King's going to lead us in her song. This is your time. If you want to get saved, get baptized, or join our church. It's a wonderful church, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. It needs to be your church home if you've been visiting. If you've been dating our church, you need to marry our church. The way to do this is I stand down front, Brother Hurd stands next to me. So we're going to stand together, and we're going to be waiting for you to respond. You come forward, take our hand.